Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The cinematic look and feel of the film, although the environment is quintessentially British, he's clearly got a Spielbergian view, the way he uses light, the way he uses his angles and mm. his camera work. This is, this is it, the point. It's an ambitious Hollywood feel yeah. in an environment that's uniquely British. Hey everyone, this is episode 93 of Flix Watcher Podcast. Hello film fans. In the studio today recording, we have Miriam. Hi. Gareth. Hello there. And as always, Kobe. Hello there. And we are reviewing Attack the Block. I hope you enjoy the show, guys. Remember, please visit us online at flixwatcher.tv. Come to our Twitter account at flixwatcherpod. And please go to iTunes, subscribe and review. There will be spoilers and bad language. You have been warned. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast. Our guests today are Gareth and Miriam. If you would like to tell the listeners about how you know me and Kobe. Hi, um, so I know you guys because we're all part of the same film quiz, the Shabbos Rollers. Yep. Um, and I think we've been one happy group for a couple of years now. Yeah, how a long time. Oh, yeah. Where's our I was captain? I was a latecomer to the group, but uh, yeah. not the latest though. No, no, there's with a few more. We've taken, a few, we've taken on board a few more waves and strays. <laughs> yeah, three years. Three, three years, years is quite long. You, no, for you, really? Yes. Wow, Hold that us. went by quickly. Have I known you guys for more than three years? Yes, you've known me for four and a half. Holy shit! Well, uh, me and Gareth were the original incarnation. Yeah. 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 Back in the day. Part of school. <laughs> and we represent at the Bigger Boat Film Quiz. Um so guys if you want to if you want to quiz in London, just type in Bigger Boat Film Quiz into Google and you'll find where you can find film quizzes. Yes. Yes. This is the best one. Um Gareth, how do we know you? <laughs> kind of, we've sort of established that. It's kind of the same answer. We're all on the same team. Um but we've asked you you guys are the last people to come on. Um Flixwatcher podcast. Save what have you been just doing? Just a busy last. person. Just busy. I've got just other things to do. Yes, that takes up quite a, quite a lot of time. Yeah. Otherwise, if I didn't watch them, I wouldn't be here today. And I suppose we're living in a golden age of TV, and so I'm probably less. Are we? Yes, we are. Yeah, definitely. You um, don't. You don't watch. Do you watch much TV? No. No. I'd, whereas, I, and when I say that, I mean the quality of the TV shows that we get, not only on streaming platforms like. Netflix and Amazon Prime, but just the stuff that's coming over from the states, mm. the homegrown stuff, HBO, and uh, just yeah. there's just so much great content out there that 
I think the long-form storytelling that those TV shows are doing is sometimes making films feel a little less amazing. I, I, I feel that I have much less excitement about films generally than I used to when I was younger, you know, I, well, I mean, I still read Empire and Total Film every month and have done for, let's say, 20 plus years. Um, <laughs> but I'm not as excited about the films themselves as I am the stories around them, how they're made, who's making them and so on. So what's your, what's your guys' relationship to Netflix? I know, Gareth, you're unfortunately one of the biggest cinephiles we know, but you don't go to the cinema that much because... I hate the experience of going to the cinema because knobheads, exactly, that's (laughs) precisely it. Knobheads ruin it for everyone. It does really lower your tolerance after getting Netflix to have to listen to other people coughing and talking and Mm. looking at their phone in the cinema. I mean, I I went to the cinema, well, I'd probably go a couple of times a year. The big ticket movies I'll go see. And I remember, you know, we've just been talking about horror films and why... I enjoy horror films. I hate watching horror films in the cinema because it seems to be the genre that initiates the most audience participation. Um, I went to see Annabelle Creation and half the people in the cinema felt that they could have a two-way dialogue Mm. with Mm. what was going on on the screen and it just killed any tension. It killed any fear. It was just so annoying. Mm. And I think, you know, Netflix is great because that release window that we used to have to wait for. I mean, going back to the olden, olden days where a film would come out of the cinema and then 12 months later it would be there for rental. Even before that, a film would come out in the States. Oh yeah, Mm, and then you'd wait six months. Then it'd come out in the UK. Then you'd wait 12 months for a video release that was rental only. And then after maybe another year, it was available for sell-through. What kind of bullshit was that? Well, I mean, that was that was their old business model, um, because yeah, people, the horse, because well, the but horse, also yeah. people had no other access to the movie, mm. so you had to wait until it was served up. Nowadays, I think with, you know, the, the illegal camera. I, I, I mean, I can't understand anybody who do watches they still a make those recording. anymore? They do. They people still make those and they still distribute them via nefarious means, and people still watch them. I can't imagine wanting to do that, but the middle ground with something like Netflix is you can watch a film that's only been out for a few months in 4K with amazing surround sound on a screen upwards of 60 inches, which compared with the size of screen and how close you can get to it in most multiplexes, Mm. you're having just as good an experience sitting at home. I've got a big TV. I love to sit in front of it and watch a movie or a TV show. And then I don't have to deal with knobheads. Well, what we can do is you can give us our, your address and we can just... You can I'll come round. Yeah. I'll come round and talk through it and... Uh, Please do. Rustle, rustle your screen about. Yes. Go on, eat that popcorn. Complain about the size <laughs> of the measly little hot dogs, yeah. Miriam, you, you chose Attack the Block, which is the film we're talking about today. Can yeah. you tell us what happened and in two minutes? Two and minutes. Tell us so why a lot you, happens yeah, in two well, minutes. Well, you, that's your task. Okay. Should you choose to accept it? I, I will accept it. And okay. Tell us why you chose it for us to to watch. So, if I had to sum it up, it would be. Uh, you do have to sum it. I up. do. That's, yeah. I, that's what I'm trying two to do. Minutes. Um, aliens land in a South London council uh, estate, um, and uh, a gang of local boys, about five boys in Ute. all. Um, and a local nurse um, and various other ne'er-do-wells in the district have to find a way to defeat this enemy, um, which no one really believes is real. Um, the police just get in the way. 
And most of the film is uh, filmed around what was the Haygate Estate in South London. Um, and so you see a great deal of the tower block and uh, the lifts and the corridors around it. Mm. Um, and I would say it was uh, very much about class and race um, in in Britain with a bit of added aliens. It's a strange sort of, uh, obviously heavily influenced by E.T. and a number of uh, films like Pre- Precinct 13. Um, so the film takes you through various scenes in and off the estate. Um, a local ute uh, have a little bit of bounce and there's a local drug dealer um, and a run-ins with the police um, before wrapping up with a heroic ending, which I won't spoil. Yet. So why did you choose it for us? Um, I saw it initially in, when it came out in 2011. I really, in the really, cinema. In the cinema. Uh, I can't remember whether there was much talking. Um Probably really, was. Yeah. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and then I saw it was out on Netflix. I wanted to see whether it would hold up to a second viewing. Mm-hmm. Um, but this time I added Extra Teenager. I watched it with my 15-year-old daughter. Okay. To see what kind of perspective she would have in it because the main protagonists in the film are around the same age. Sure. Um, I thought it would be interesting to have her perspective. And what, whether, what was her perspective? Um, she... Uh, her, one of her very first comments was uh, surprised that they managed to get the slang mm-hmm. correct, apart from, she said, oh, they, they, they are doing it right, apart from one. But she wouldn't tell me which one it was. We couldn't work out who was, who was kind of getting that slang wrong. Um, and uh, yeah, she, so she thought that was very realistic in terms of the gang and the little teenage interaction. Uh, she very quickly got quite fixated on uh, one of the gang members, uh, Alex Ismail. Okay, yeah. Um, and uh, said he was... Peng, um, and uh, that's good. That is it is. good? Okay, that thanks. Is. I was yeah. going to Wikipedia <laughs> or Urban Dictionary. In. And then maybe stopped the film several times so she could go and look him up on her phone and see whether he was still Peng. Um, and uh, a week later, she's still very disappointed that he grew up and is not quite the pretty boy that he was uh, in the as film. Has his pengness diminished? Very, very much so. Yeah. But as, as her mother, I feel quite uh, gratified that a 25-year-old holds no appeal to her. <laughs> um, I can imagine your relief. <laughs> yeah. Gareth, what are your thoughts overarching on uh, Attack the Block? Um, I really liked it. I mean, as we've just established, I did not see it at the cinema, but I did see it the week it came out on home viewing. Uh, I really liked it. It's Joe Cornish, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think a lot was made at the time about Joe Cornish's um, desire to not misrepresent the kids. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of, if you look on IMDb, there's a wildly varied reaction to it. And I think what's interesting is the people who hated it hate it because the protagonists, the heroes, are the bad guys at the start of the movie and they're just not comfortable with them being celebrated as the heroes. Um, everyone else goes, well, this is interesting. It's it's a more realistic portrayal. And I know that what motivated Joe Cornish to write it was him being mugged and sensing that the kids were as afraid as, as he, he was. was. Okay. And I think that's a really empathetic position to come from. Um, and I think his his desire to represent them authentically is laudable. I don't know which one does it inauthentically in terms of. I couldn't work that one out either. I couldn't, but there we're, were we're too young. We're not from the. I mean, well, it, so it's not that three I'm, of us around the table are from the north. Yeah, I'm 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 not from from that um, generation or environment. 
there were a couple of scenes where, and it might just be the inexperience of the actors, mm. but some of the early scenes that are heavily dialogue-led do smack a little bit of trying too hard. I remember there was a really funny sketch I saw years and years ago, and it might have been an SNL or something. And the point of the sketch was it was a white acting instructor teaching a bunch of black actors how to speak black, but the kind of black that they speak in movies. And it was a really interesting exploration of how movies tend to represent kids from urban backgrounds and the expectations placed on them and how they're going to speak to sound like what we're used to in movies. But in this case, um, from what I read about it, he did a lot of local workshopping yeah, and he used did. a lot of he spent, local he spent kids weeks there, didn't he? working on the script, making sure that it was authentic. And, 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 and that definitely comes across. And I think there's just a couple of moments in it where and it's maybe just the dialogue is trying to establish the characterization and a little bit of the exposition and that with you get me fam mm. all of that it, it sometimes we hear that round the stone no 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 i i know we do but and occasionally it felt like it was it was just a bit studied there were just a couple of moments but where teenagers it, are quite studied especially in those kind of boy gangs because it's all about you know being cooler than the other and uh, and I think the film does that really interestingly with uh, the posh boy character mm. I really loved him who's dealing he's with he's always the, hanging around yeah and he's hanging around and you you get a real sense of him and he's the character that was based on Joe Cornish yeah and his adaptability in how he speaks or attempted adaptability attempted but Jokes. he's actually pretty convincing um, to someone who's outside of the... F- well, no, I mean, I mean, to, the, they laugh at... The kids laugh at mm. him, yeah. but they're as much laughing at him because he's older than the inauthentic way he's speaking. But he slips in and out of it. He's obviously comfortable enough in that environment that he knows what to say, but we're laughing because we know he's posh. Yeah. The only character that seems um, a little bit inauthentic was uh, Sam, the nurse, who, who was mugged at, yeah, mugged at the beginning. And I, I've been trying to think about why I felt that. Was it she has a slightly posh accent? Yeah, she's a nurse and she's living in the tower block and she's obviously the foil to the to the boys um, and has a difficult relationship with them. I don't know whether that her accent is just a little bit too unlikely to be living there. Um, but also, she only expect- she only really has two modes in this film. One is terrified, uh, and the other is sweary, yeah. and that's mm. kind of it. She has nothing else. I believe in between. the terror. But yeah, the mugging was, scene is actually quite was, harrowing. I don't, mm. I don't like, and it took me a long time to get past that to so feel the, comfortable. The, I could, yeah. Um, the comments on IMDb where I, I hadn't read the comments on IMDb, um, but it's surprising me that that's what's taken them out of the film. I think that's one thing that actually makes it kind of interesting because you see films, and it's and it did this at the start when the first alien comes down. A, they mug someone who's defenseless. They're a gang. They're younger, but you know they can. They're they carrying knives. Yeah, I mean, carrying it's a knives. scary situation. Two, they kill the dog. You know, they kill the dog, they kill the animal, which sets them in any kind of movie trope as these are the bad guys. But then you... The fact you're supposed to be on their side all the way through is is a weird kind of juxtaposition in, in well, the film. I don't even get the sense that you're supposed to be on their side all the way through. I think the film takes you on the same journey that she goes through, which is you see them as the threat. The moment you see them, you know they're bad news. Mm. You don't want to like them, but the narrative follows them instead of her from the mugging onwards. And it forces you to go, okay, I'm going to go with this with some people that I don't like. I don't like 
how they're talking. I don't like what they're talking about. I don't like what they've just done. But the film clearly has chosen to follow them as the protagonist. So let's see where it goes. And that's an interesting narrative choice. But it's not a comfortable one. Yeah. So people are not... People are berating it because of their lack of comfort Mm. from a standard narrative. Yeah. Hey, what were your thoughts? Um, So I've got quite mixed feelings about this film. I remember watching it um, probably when it came out a bit after it. I didn't see it at the cinema. Um, Watched it and was a bit disappointed that I didn't like it as much as I probably should have done given it was Joe Cornish. Um, I mean, as a film, I mean, technically for a first film, it's it's amazing. You Mm. know, he's got a great story, start, middle, ending. It's directed really well. The use of sound, use of different video techniques... Fantastic. Um, as we've already mentioned, you know, you anyone who's lived in South London will know, you know, these are the kids that live there. Um, great casting. Um, watching it the second time round, someone who has lived in South London and just round the corner from where they live, two teenagers have been stabbed to death in the past twelve months. I kind of felt a little bit uncomfortable with the with the opening scenes and it was just a little bit like yeah, I kind of get I get the story, but and also thinking back and sort of reading all the reviews, people go on how oh, it's this great kind of comedy film. There's not actually that much humor in. It. There's maybe one or two moments, but the tone at the start for me this time was just a bit yeah. I mean, that's just not that's a bit a bit close, a bit close for me and I don't know. I it's a film where it looks great and it kind of does has these like amazing moments like when there's all the aliens in the background they come through a window and Mm. attack him and there's some great kind of funny gore bits and a nice sort of nod to aliens and et etc it's a film where there's not really any heart or you don't really i never felt anything for any of the characters i didn't really care which ones got picked off or which one survived and um, Jodie Whittaker's character has got nothing about her you know you don't really feel like well what's her story her story is she gets mugged and then she gets caught up and then she doesn't really kind of save the day or anything like that she's just kind of there and well, she's part of the, the story she does kind of help because she doesn't have the pheromones on her so she's the one that able this that sets the gas going I guess mm. but that could have easily been one of the other gang members well, they all got caught. They all beat up the animal, didn't they? Or they all beat up the aliens. So they all had the pheromones on them. She seems to be in most use at the end as the witness to the story of what actually happened, and as the the white conduit to talk to the police and uh, try and get justice for the for the boys. That seems to be her major aim, and and doing a little bit of nursing badly um, in the middle of the film um, with the maud leg. Um, but otherwise, I'd agree her role is fairly limited. I mean, I think. As far as the boys are concerned, they work really well as a gang together. Mm. I mean, the comedy is in their script Mm. and their dialogue. Um, But each boy is not that differentiated from each other. At least three of them could have Mm. pretty much been the same. Um, Obviously, John... Boyega is the, the lead of uh, of the gang. And I totally believed in him as a sort of leader of men that everyone would follow. But he was so dour yeah. through the whole thing. He, he made no jokes and... Uh, I couldn't quite feel the charisma of why he was the one. Well, he had the mm. f- potentially the fewest lines in the film. He seems so he sad things. all the way through. <laughs> but I think I think that's the I think it's maybe the 
the strong silent type um, definitely kind of the hero was, was going on whereas the other guys around him were like you had the kid who didn't want to wear his glasses you couldn't even see the monster and then you got Alex Alex Ishmael um, the kid who got stuck in the in the bins and they had the, you have those he, little two kids I can't remember what they were what their props names props of mayhem were. Pro, props of mayhem so I think there was a fair bit of comedy around there. So Alex, Alex was the white boy, I think. Yeah, yeah. with the... Um, there there, are, the there yeah. are moments of comedy, but there's not moments that levi- many. Would you no. say more moments it, of levity? I wouldn't say it's a comedy film. No, and there isn't... Re- uh, there's the scene where after they've killed the because, first alien and, also, and they talk to the girls outside the shop, some of the interaction, you're, you're laughing at them, not with them. And then it's not really until you get... And to be honest, the weak spot in the film for me was Nick Nick Frost. Frost. Because the moment Nick Frost arrives, you have a certain expectation of what he's going to be doing and he does exactly what you expect him to do. And so I found him a real weak point in it. And then the scene where the guys end up in her flat again... And there's there's a lovely moment where the kid in the glasses, who was the real standout for me in this film... Although I don't know the character's name because Jerome. Yeah, I, I I watched the film again at the weekend and I came out of it and I'm like I know Moses's name and that's it because it's the one that gets said a lot. Yeah. Um. But the kid when because they're they're constantly talking about how much time they've got left on their <laughs> credit on their yeah, phone. Yeah. Their credit on the phone, which dates the film enormously <laughs> as well. Um. But he goes, there's just too much madness to put into one text. (laughs) And I thought that was a lovely line because it wasn't expecting the kids to be smarter or wittier than they would be. But it absolutely summed up the humour of the character. And so that was like my standout moment. Let's talk about the the creature design, which I thought was one of the big things for me in this film. I thought I really enjoyed the bear gorilla things that they, t- they couldn't even describe it properly but the super dark fur blacker than my cousin yeah than my cousin. <laughs> that was oh, that yeah. was funny as well blacker than my cousin kemi was it? yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the uh fluorescent glowing mouths i thought that, i thought it looked fantastic i really like that and i'm glad that they didn't go for full cgi which i think would have yeah. taken it away from it it was just a very generic black monster with the luminous teeth um what? something you you instinctively it's it's done well so that it hasn't aged it. Mm. And I think they're generic in that they're all interchangeable because there were only two suits made yeah. and they just, just multiplied them to, as much as they needed. They just yeah. needed to be terrifying yeah. and large yeah. and run. That yeah. was all they needed to do. If you if you put too much work into them, then they would be the focus rather than the Whereas people. the design of the female one that's releasing yeah. the pheromone, it really does look like a kind of second-rate alien backpack. Which yeah, is what yes. they thought it was. Yeah. And it just... it. There's a physicality to it. It looks like a piece of rubber. Its limbs bounce when they're running. They don't hang like a limb. They're, like a, it just looks like a latex like it prop. Anything, yeah, yeah. I did find myself speculating on what what the sex life of these monsters was actually like. That they all had to fall out of the sky and then find the female at some point. It was. Isn't that what the? Because they had that short documentary clip, which is narrated by Adam Buxton. Like um, yeah, the TV what and the, the, yeah, insinuating what pheromones and stuff do, and that was kind of. And in that sense, this film reminded me a lot of the Cornetto trilogy Mm. in that one of my dislikes of the Cornettos is there's a really kind of pronounced foreshadowing that they often do in place of an actual plot or an actual joke. And they'll set... Simon Pegg and Nick Frost do it all the time. Mm. Um, You know, like the, you've got red on you and that's not my dad. 
they're, they're almost ticking off things and you're going, we're going to hear that again later and the context is going to turn that into a joke. And to me, that's it's really kind of obvious. And there were a couple of moments in this, for instance, with the um, the jumping across... The oh, parkour. Yeah, the parkour. Because, because there's no mention of any parkour or anything. They're, they're just walking across one of the bridgeways and the kid suddenly, for no reason, stands up and goes, I'm going to do the jump, I'm going to do it, you'll see, I can do it. And it comes out of nowhere, but the fact that it happens, you sort of think, okay, so later on we're going to see that again. And that takes me out of the movie because it's done unsubtly. And likewise, the camera moving to the TV and the moth and its reproductive cycle and the fact that the female issues of pheromone, it's like, why would we be watching this if this isn't the thing relevant. that we're going to hear about? So I, this, I mean, what you're talking about there, how is that different from, um, and it may well be, um, the standard kind of Chekhov's gun thing where you see something that's like, oh, where's that come from? Because Chekhov's gun as a principle doesn't mm. talk about the gun. The gun is just there. It's just part of the set dressing. But that's the, obviously that's the kind of, the name that's given to a lot of these, something set up in the first act that's, and we talk about like Will, our friend Will, who does Exploding Helicopter. Mm -hmm. And I asked him like, so now you watch films, can you tell when there's going to be an exploding helicopter? And he was like saying, there has to be a helicopter in the first act or someone mentions the helicopter for no particular reason, like in Angels and Demons, when someone says, oh yeah, I, you know, I fly helicopters. And then you think, mm. <laughs> I mean, Angels and Demons, I'm not seeing it, but from all heard, reports, it's yeah. a shite film. It's um, pretty awful, yeah. But that's still an example of that kind of trope where something's ex something's given in the first act. I, I'm all for exposition, but, you know, at the lowest end of really obvious exposition is Lethal Weapon 2, where Mel Gibson, for no apparent reason, decides to demonstrate that he's able to dislocate his shoulder, shoulder to get yeah. out of a straitjacket. <laughs> you know, just in case someone decides one day that they'll try and kill him by putting him in a straitjacket, that's the most contrived, awful, look at me, I'm some exposition scene that I can think of and everything else that's ever been done is slightly better than that but I find a couple of these moments jarring mm. in that good exposition needs to be delivered as part of the story it shouldn't stop the film to go hang on I just need you to look at it and that's the difference with che Chekhov's gun mm. doesn't imply anyone has a conversation about the gun on the wall the gun is just there and it doesn't take you out of the moment. Sure. But the principle is don't put it there unless you're going to use it later. This, for me, was just a bit more, here's the thing that you need to know later. And I, I didn't even notice any of that. Uh, it was fast-paced enough that uh, even the pheromone piece at the end, it was only when the film ended, I was like, oh, that's how, the, that's how it all sort of got explained. And the parkour thing seemed entirely natural within the context yeah of I mean I, I think I, I completely get what you're saying but I can imagine those kids they've walked past there many times and he's they, like yeah, maybe this can is you something do that can you do that mm. bro and then he goes yeah I can do it I can do it and of course you can chickens course, out every time yeah. and then nah bro yeah so I don't think I don't feel that's so contrived but I can see how it does mm. um, I'm sure the first time I saw the film and the second time because I can't really remember it I did think yeah, there will be. You'll you'll do that later because yeah. you'll need to because it'll be aliens. It doesn't derail the whole movie. It's hmm. just one of those things where, for for some reason, it's something that I see quite a lot in British genre films. Yeah. Is they want to try and make them feel as well constructed as possible, and sometimes they show their hand a little bit. That's all. And uh, how does this compare for you guys as 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 a British film? I'm not sure it could be made oh, it couldn't be. I guess it couldn't be made anywhere. Well, it could have been. 
other places. Um, but I think when we when people typically say British film, you think Kez or you think like um, Richard Curtis. And I think this is... Class. It's always about class. And, and that Explain. From, well, um... She means class. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't no, play I, with those A's. <laughs> I, I know what you mean. It's normally Hugh Grant toffing about... Or even Kurtz, or almost any British film ends up being an exposition about class. And I don't think this film would have worked without it because you get that, the obviously interaction with the boys and the nurse who gets mugged and the the posh, Mm. uh, you know, uh, druggy. It is, it does feel as if that is the main point of the film is to take these kids who would have been considered, you know, uh, terrible monsters. They are the monsters and turn them into heroes and you would never consider them to be heroes in any other genre. And although obviously Aliens is a, more a universal theme mm-hmm. um, and uh, sort of that urban environment is one, but this feels very specifically British because everyone is so specific within their own class and that's what's it's, it's, it's very authentic as mm. someone who lives in that area. Um Interesting enough that Haygate doesn't exist anymore. They knocked that down. Um, other than if you know kind of the local, that oval is not very close to Elephant no, and Castle. No. But I mean, it <laughs> awful. all of the locations work together and those kids are, are from that area. And it, it does feel authentic in that way, if for me, a little bit too authentic. But do you not think, I think for me, this could be, the same story could be dropped into like Hell's Kitchen in New York example and based around a group of yeah, kids and, I mean, they're, they're, yeah, the way they handle the, the aliens way, is a little bit naffer and also the way it's filmed because again british film tends to be a bit dour or but joe, joe cornish you know he's studied at the altar of spielberg mm. it's it's oh, exactly. it, the, the the cinematic look and feel of the film although the environment is quintessentially british he's clearly got a Spielbergian view, the way he uses light, the way he uses his angles and mm. his camera work. This is, this is my it's, point. It's an ambitious Hollywood feel yeah. in an environment that's uniquely British. Although, funnily enough, I, w- I was trying to think of another example that would use a similar sort of environment, but in the US. And the best one I can think of is Candyman, which is set in the um, Cabrini Green uh, housing projects in Chicago. And what's interesting about Candyman is... It's an American genre movie made by a British writer-director based on a British writer's Mm. story that was set in Liverpool. So these kinds of stories can be transposed because they still end up being about race and class. Mm. But but you have to transpose to a a kind of similar sort of environment in in order to maintain the authenticity. I think in the US it would be a story about race and here it's class and race. I think and there'd be more be guns difference. as well. Yeah. Basically, everyone would just have a gun and they <laughs> wouldn't have all of the inventive kind of ways of trying to deal with the, the aliens. I they think you've probably taken them. away from my, my kind of point is how it's shot and how it looks as a, like a, as a film. You, if someone would show me one shot from this, I mean, there's a, few, there's a few images we have on here. If someone said, where do you think this film was made? I wouldn't, typic- I wouldn't say the UK is my thoughts. I don't know. Even the hoodie, with that woolly hat and the bobble hats, yeah, kind of that does place yeah. it. They, they, because it, at the heart, they are kind of for all of the bravado they put on. Deep down, they are just kind of nerdy little kids. <laughs> yeah, the bravado- there is that little bit that comes through from that. You know, in it, they are kids that 
you know, they live with their grands and, and mm. things like that. Or don't live with anyone. Well, anyone. I, I, I think it just feels very English and, you know, the humour is quite English as well. I mean, one example similar to Gareth is like um, High Fidelity. Mm-hmm. There was uproar when it was transposed from North London where Nick Hornby does all his books through to, was it Chicago? Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to Chicago when we transposed English films. Um, but then I was like, High Fidelity is probably my favourite book. And when I was like, equally uproarious but when I saw it I was like well it's the same story it's different people the situation isn't Chicago but they're the same people having the same lives it did feel quite American I love that film as well and Mm. I never read the book so I don't know how British the book was Um, it was set in Muswell Hill right (laughs) so very British Um, or Highbury that kind of area but it did feel as if it was very much in an American milieu and that I actually would struggle to work out how they would do it in the UK. I mean, you would know better having read the book. Um, but the whole, uh, the way that the social groups worked mm. and these, the dickishness of the sort of the boyfriends that felt, they felt quite American. I mean, you can do that. Um, you can transpose. I mean, The Office is the classic one, mm. which when it was originally made, you just couldn't think, well, how it could be possibly transfer to uh, American. To States, yeah. yeah. And yeah. when they tried to do it too close to the British style that's when it was actually it had to go its own way and now it's totally american but it's still true to the same story i just recently rewatched and the girl on the train as well which again was a british thriller yeah transposed best-selling paperback um moved to the states although with an english lead actress who emily blunt kept her english accent in it um and there's actually a few of the brits in the cast as well but it's set in the u.s and actually it it translates perfectly well Mm. I, i think the only the only thing where it feels like there's a an Americanness to it is in the treatment of alcoholism, Be- because yeah. in the in the US that the drinking culture is much drink. easier to disguise. Mm. Um, in the UK and in the US, the moment you have two glasses of wine in rapid succession, you're an alcoholic. You're Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween H two O glugging one Chardonnay whilst asking for the next one. Is that normal? Uh, well, no, that's what I mean is she has two glasses of wine, which to me is just an evening in and it's seen it's as a like starter, a, it's it? a cry for help. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Anything else you want to talk about in this film before we go to the scores? Uh, no, I, I think it's a great film and it it, it stands up well. Um well, Did let's... you notice the name of all the towers? Yes, all, all after sci-fi. Wyndham and I, Clark and... I, I, so explain the relevance to those for people, um, not me, but so people the, who are listening. The, <laughs> not me, but stupid people. <laughs> <laughs> the four tower blocks are named after four famous sci-fi writers. Um, Clark, Moore, Wyndham, and I always forget the last one. Huxley. That's it. Yeah, yeah I did notice. <laughs> but interestingly, all British, there was yeah. Wells as well, because yeah. there are other names. It's not just the tower blocks. There, mm. are, there are other names, and I think there was... There was one name that was supposed to be a US science fiction author, but it was argued that it could be, I can't remember which one, but most of them are, are British sci-fi authors as well. Yeah, I thought that was a nice touch. Keeps it home. And, and I, I sometimes like it when filmmakers do that. They did it in the Final Destination series for the first two or three movies. All of the characters were named after iconic horror directors. Right. But but when someone suddenly called Hitchcock or Luton, it's suddenly it's a bit, it's, yeah. it's a bit conspicuous. I did notice the Wyndham straight away. Though. I was like, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I think if I <laughs> if I made films or did wrote a story, I would inject the things that yeah, that's that spurred me into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, right, let's head to the scores. 
So this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to this spreadsheet of dreams. All of our scores. That's a contradiction, Helen. <laughs> spreadsheets spread are nightmares. Uh, I bet people who love, to love these I love bad boys. I love all a good monsters. <laughs> You're a historian though, aren't you? Yeah, I'm, I'm versatile. Okay. <laughs> Biting lip. <laughs> Back to our glorious spreadsheet. <laughs> it's a thing of beauty, Gareth. Okay. Our scores are yeah. out of five. You can have decimal places. You can have zero, but no lower than a zero. And we will start with you, Miriam, with the recommendability as I you picked it. I would give it a four and a half because I would love to recommend it to as many people as possible, but mm-hmm. maybe some old people wouldn't like it. Gareth? Um, I'd, I'd give it a four. I think it's a it's a great movie, and I think it does some interesting and unusual things, even within a, a kind of fairly predictable genre. H? Yeah, as I mentioned before, I should like this film more than I actually do. I don't know, just something about it. The first time I watched it, I was a bit... Eh. Um, and then the second time, I was a bit more. Uh, I mean, I can see everything. <laughs> How that... do you spell those sound effects? No. <laughs> Meh. I mean, I can see everything that he's doing, and you know, get that and love all his previous work. But just something about it that I just not really for me. Um, so I, I can only give it a three point five. Um, I'm going to give it a four and a half um, for the same reasons as Miriam. I think there's definitely people who I can't recommend it to, but I think everyone else. Um, yeah, go and see it. The I think the main reason I, w- I didn't gel with it so much the first time I saw it is because it was Joe Cornish behind it and I was expecting something completely different. Um, and that shouldn't really detract from the film. It should be like, he, this is him doing something different to Adam and Joe. Mm. This isn't toy train spotting. This isn't toy kids. This isn't like... It felt a lot more like, a, re-watching again, it felt a lot more like a horror film. Mm. Yeah. There were some the, the horror in jump it's really it's horrible. Yeah. Some proper chases. And, and also, you know... Spoiler warning, he kills off kids. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which you don't least, notice. Don't the aliens like <laughs> rip someone's head off at one point? Yeah. That's one of the deaths. The, the first death is the police, the two police. And they, you don't see that. You but they get splatted pretty badly. Yeah, you see yeah. the blood spray. It was one of them, was one of them, Joe Cornish. I meant to check that back. I didn't, I didn't look closely. There's a tall policeman who got killed first. I need to check that. Look at the IMDb trivia, guys, and let us know because we're lazy. Um, I, yeah, I think it's very... I was just stunned that literally it was because it's Joe Cornish and wanted something different but at the same time the reason I asked about the British question is because I think it stands it, you know it holds its own against what Hollywood um, would deem as a good film quote unquote for a British author, British person you can see and I think that's why he's doing so well now in like writing films for Steven Spielberg which is you know fair play to, testament to this film I think mm-hmm. um, from a, a show that was shot in him and, and Adam's fake bedroom mm. to writing for Steven Spielberg I think it's, yeah based based off of this one film I can see why why it's um, going upwards for him and hope the next film goes quite well I think yeah I'm, I'm, I, mm, it's made so well yeah and it looks amazing and for a debut film made on probably quite a low budget I meant to mm. see if it, has he done anything shorter 
that, that led in, into this because I only knew him for. No, I don't think so. I think this was a debut is a debut is a debut. Yeah. I, I think what's interesting is how to make something look cinematic where you use the limitations of your low budget in your favour, mm. not trying to disguise the fact that it's low budget and not deliberately going lo-fi because there's no way around it. It's it's ambitious, it's bold. You know, there's a lot of scenes of running up a corridor where it's quite obviously one corridor set that they just redress. But, you know, The Raid did that yeah. on a fraction of even this film's budget and they just kept redressing the same corridor. It, I think if you're being imaginative and you're telling an interesting story, people aren't looking to see, oh, have I seen that doorknob before? Mm. They don't really care. It looked really, um, it, was, it was beautifully shot uh, and it was... You notice how green and grubby the whole estate was, mm. um, and uh, sort of the place made you feel icky just by looking at it. Mm-hmm. Um, all those scenes in the left, you, you thought they'll get trapped in, or, or the whole mm. thing will break down, or they'll have to. It was, yeah, that was, it there, was it? yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, repeat viewing score, Miriam. I think I will regularly watch this film every couple of years. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know how that translates to a score though. Well, I guess oh. gauge it on the film you've seen the most and you're happy to see it at a moment's notice and then kind of gauge it on that. Okay, well, I'll give it a four and a half then. Oh, wow. I have to beg the question, what film have you seen them? What did you compare it to? What film have I seen the most? Yeah. Oh, goodness. Probably with Nell and I. Okay. I generally watch that that's every the, year. There you go, that's a British film. <laughs> uh, Gareth? Um, I'd give it a three. I, I like it, but I'm not... So it's probably the when I rewatched it at the weekend. It's probably the first time since it came out that I'd watched it. Yeah, and I didn't feel like it was too soon, but I also didn't think, oh, how have I not seen this sooner? It was, yeah, it was fine. So I'd give it a three. Alan, and for the record, your most watched film? Yeah, possibly, actually, yeah, Shawshank Redemption. I think Shawshank Redemption or Gremlins. <laughs> Two very both similar quali- films. Yeah, both quality films. Helen. Um, repeat viewing. So I saw this. If you hadn't have suggested it, I probably would never have rewatched this again. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I mean, I've watched it twice. So what's that? Two? Yeah, but that's. <laughs> Point for each time. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, again, Sino and Miriam, I think. Bit lower though. I think a four. I, th- I really enjoyed it. Um, I don't think I watch it at most like once every couple of years. I think that's a kind of nice gauge yeah. in, in between. Um, and it's not like the film like Social Network where once every seven years seems like a good kind of time in between. I think it's more frequent than that. And it's one of those as well. I think you can just drop in and watch a bit of it and then skip off and do something else. So, No. No. I was going to say, um, one thing I did notice is that it's aged pretty well. It was made in 2011. Mm. Yeah, Ross couldn't believe the slang hadn't changed from 2011, which is a very long time. All the, all, the, all the state of estates in London either, they yeah. all look pretty that shit. So the thing but, um, that they was not necessarily mobile phones, but things like... But that, no, but the thing is, kids still do have credit. They're not mm-hmm. a lot of kids get contracts. No. Most kids do point, have actually, actually credit yeah. and but, they but, do but, send texts. But less oh, the, with the yeah, khaki the, keys... funnily enough phones are the easiest way of dating a movie now Mm. you can tell anything that's pre-2011 because no one has iPhones after 2011 
it's iPhones. It might not have helped because they would have been out of battery even quicker. Well, that's are. true, yeah, depending on how much content they were streaming. Yeah. But yeah, credit, not dating it, maybe tappy-tappy. Tappy-tappy. Small screen score, guys. Miriam? I'm going to give this a lower score because mm-hmm. um, when I saw it originally... Um, it does translate particularly well to the large screen. It's huge shots of uh, the the high rise and the block itself. If you make it smaller, you lose quite a, little, a lot of that atmosphere. Um, so I'm going to give it a three and a half. It still looks really good, um, but it sort of loses some of that grandeur in the uh, in the transfer. Gareth, yeah, I'll give it a three. I I agree with Mim about the scope and scale of some of the shots, and you you lose I, I think the block it's called the block it's supposed to be a slightly imposing yeah, yeah. shape and I think a lot of the cinematography and the use of light it, we said earlier it's Spielbergian and I you know I don't think Spielberg's ever designed a film to be watched on a smartphone Helen um, I'm also going to go for three because I've only ever seen it on kind of TV home viewing okay. and wonder whether had I seen it first at the cinema I might have had more engagement with it but yeah it I don't know. Just, just not. Just, just not ab- feeling it. Just not about it. Okay. Um, yeah, three again. I think I really enjoyed it in cinema. Um, I th- and I think the creature design looks really good up close. And I think some, maybe just detrimental to some people's TV, the black of the of the creatures against the dark sky, against the darkness might lose a bit of the edge if you got a crap screen. So mm-hmm. I think it does worth it's worth seeing on as, as good a quality screen as possible and as, as big you need as to see possible. the fluff. The fluff. You need to see the fluff. You need to you see, need see the, move. the winds bristling in the in the fur. So three for me. Um engagement score. Miriam. I'm gonna give it a five because once I started it, apart from uh my daughter making me stop uh to check out uh, the actors afterwards, um I loved watching it all the way through and I was very heavily engaged the whole time. And I think every time I go back and watch it, I have the same level of engagement. So nice works for me. Gareth? Um, I'll probably say 3.5. I think... Where were you waning? Where were you... Um, I think it was that point I made earlier about sometimes in order to be super authentic, you almost show your hand and become inauthentic because it seems a little studied. Mm -hmm. And there were just a couple of moments, particularly in the early scenes, where I felt like we were conspicuously being shown, this is how kids really talk. And it felt almost anthropological in its approach in depicting these kids. And we don't normally see how they speak. And and it, it just took me out of it a little bit to start with. I think once you see that the kids aren't you know, the bullying, mugging monsters mm. that you're supposed to think they are right at the start, you warm to it a lot and it it manages to keep you with the kids. And actually I was I was quite sad and shocked that the kids died. Oh, yeah. I, I really wasn't expecting that. And the fact that it made me care means I'm quite engaged with it. Do you feel that um the kids they were a victim of circumstance and they felt that they have to almost act up and be the mug and stuff? Because when we haven't talked about the drug dealer, main kind of drug dealer, but he gives Moses a package and he's, off to, he's supposed to sell his, all the white stuff. And all the kids seem really happy about it, but at the same time, there's that kind of sadness about... That's the path you're on now. Yeah, yeah. that's the path you're on now. Yeah. And it seems like that's 
they're on the path because that's all life's been give, given mm-hmm. to them. And maybe that's where the sympathy comes from the film is not that they want to be the bad guys. It's because this yeah. is their life that's just landed in front of them and they have to deal with it. That That's definitely part of it. I think the other thing that, and something that smacks of authenticity actually is quite early on when they're all racing back to the block, mm. they're all talking like goonies. They're all going, oh, we're having an adventure. And they use the word adventure. Yeah. And it's, I think, before they realise the gravity of the situation and just how bad it's going to be. And there's a there's a naivety and mm. an innocence and an excitement about them being caught up in something that's bigger than their mundane reality. And I yeah. find that quite becoming as well. Um, Helen, engagement score? Due to some unfortunate diary management, I had to watch this in three separate sittings on my phone. Um, sorry about that. Um <laughs> but it's it's only an hour and 28 minutes and it felt a lot longer for me um the second time round i kind of knew knew what was going to happen and was a bit of a drag so 3 um i'm going to give it a 4 4.1 um I had no idea what's where the 0.1 for just cuz i just remember thinking i had no idea where this is going to go um i didn't i didn't find it predictable i didn't find it like Initially, it was like, these are bad guys. Why are we following them? Oh, we we are following them. Okay, well, let's stick with them. And they split apart and they get together. And then I just thought it was a really cool kind of endearing story. And again, I think the creature story, the creature thing just really, really got me. I think that's something that you don't see enough of in films. And when you see it just done really well, I just thought, apart from the, the female one, I didn't, yeah, the female one did look like a, 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 a disused Floppy muppet. latex. Yeah, but that's yeah. kind of funny. Yeah, it's... but at the same time, it's like he's running. That's that's a rubber latex thing he's running down the corridor with, followed by things that, that did look like they had heft and weight mm. and did look vicious. That's what I thought. And it was an interesting ending as well. Just thinking about it looked like a deflated like thing from Labyrinth. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, just thinking about the heroic ending. That felt very British because it wasn't uh, full of. Um, it wasn't a completely happy ending at all. I mean, the main character is dragged off into the police van as he's going to be blamed for the whole yeah. situation. Whereas I think if it had been an American film, he would have been the conquering hero and everyone, you know, he would have been on people's shoulders. And that that kind of bittersweet, ambiguous ending did feel particularly British. Like we're not allowed to have really happy endings. It was going to have a bit of a fly in the ointment. the British feels. Well, yes. that ending says a little bit like, oh, we might make a sequel if this one does well. Mm-hmm. Never did though. No. Well, he's talked about it a lot, hasn't he? Has he? I've never, I've never. Yeah. Um, I think maybe Tintin gone away. <laughs> Tintin does that. Bloody <laughs> <laughs> dog. So that gives us an overall score of three point six three. Um, yeah, pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. I thought it was going to be a bit high going into this, but there you go. That's how the scoring system goes. So we do go to the Twitter, and as always, we put a shout out saying which film we're going to review. Uh, in this case, we're reviewing. In this case, we're reviewing Attack the Block with My Mims Call and Gadimolo. Is that how you prefer to that say? It? Is yeah. Okay. Um, give us a five star rating, short review, and retweet because we, you know, want as many people to see it. We had a, quite a few responses. Um, Gareth, do you want to take the first one? Uh, yeah. So this is Amanda's pick. Show a go go. Saying uh, four stars. I'm so happy I got to see this one in cinemas. A fun and funny sci-fi action flick that proves you don't have to have a giant budget to make a good sci-fi film. I think we've seen quite a few sci-fi films which have worked on a limited budget, or at least not showy. 
Ex machina. Yeah, I think people have out. worked out that actually spending all your money on CGI makes mm. it look dated very quickly. Yeah. And actually you can do a lot more just with good camera work and Yeah, you could spend story. you could spend a hundred million dollars making a movie like Passengers. I failed to have a plot. Yeah, please don't. Or you can spend twelve million and make this. Yeah. Um Mimsical. Do you want to say it? Yeah, the next, next one, one is from Deceptishon. He says, love that movie, great story, cast and creatures, funny, scary and heartwarming. Helen, you want to say the next one? So the next one is from Top Tier. We even know who he God is. God help you, if you can't yeah. say the handle, you're really going to struggle with the alliteration in the trailer. This is me squinting at the screen as well. From, from our good friend and Captain Ben, Top Film Tip. Machete massacring, scooter stealing, hooded hoodlums. Harass her suit invader initiating unapologetic instellar urban onslaught. Star making if socio social politically uncomfortable. Sociopathically. Sociopathically. Oh yeah, Soci- sorry. <laughs> <laughs> My bad, Ben. I'll sorry. get I'll get to the end. A star. <laughs> Star making if sociopolitically uncomfortable sci-fi fun. <laughs> and then he's given it four blades and four. five sh- five ice shoes. So is that oh, f- is that four and a four? four? Four knives out of five. Four out of four, oh, four out of five yeah. ice ice boot skates. things ice skates. <laughs> that's what, that's really what struggling. They called them. Yes, <laughs> which is ice a nice nice, nice nod to um nice nod to the ice skates there. Yeah, uh, Gareth, you want to finish on the last one? Uh, yeah. So this is Vincent Van Doe. Uh, Four out of five, fantastic film, great visuals and surprisingly funny. One of the best horror movies in the past decade. Oh, that's a big claim. horror rather than sci-fi. Mm. Um, I, I, I think it's got a few elements in there. Um, one thing that Top Film Tip says is star making. This is the first time we saw John Boyega and there was a bit of a, 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 bit of a John gap. Boyega desert before Force Awakens. And also, I, don't, I think Jodie Whittaker had been a fairly jobbing actor, but she's come to the most prevalence in the last year with Journeyman, with uh, with Paddy Constein and also being the next Doctor. Mm-hmm. Those were probably the two most standout people from the film. Do you think anyone... I, I don't thought think it was going to be Alex Esmail. Really? With the, with the hat. With the hat. Uh, because he had an awful lot of dialogue and it was very funny. Um, and, you know, my daughter fancied him. But he didn't <laughs> seem to have done much since Peng. except smoke weed, which is fair enough as a career choice. Is it? Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, guys. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. Uh, do you want to give us our fans, uh, the guy that listens to us, Jasper, um, <laughs> tell him where we can find you online? Um, I'm at Gadimelo. That's G-D-I-M-E-L-O-W. And I'm at My Memsicle. That's M-Y-M-I-M-S-I-C-L-E. Cool. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening. You can find all of the episodes on our website, flickswatcher.tv. Want to give us your five-star review? Follow us at flickswatcherpod on Twitter. Big shout out to our editor, Brendan Russell, for all his awesome editing skills. And thanks as always to the mighty people for their tunes. <laughs>